will. Uh, a gospel that has the grace of God in it, but it's mixed with a lot of works that you have to do uh, in order to be saved. In other words, grace alone isn't sufficient to get to heaven. You've got to be good enough to get to heaven. And, uh, you know, I remember my view of salvation as it was taught to me in the Catholic Church. To go to heaven, you know, you've got to be a good person. You've got to follow the rules of the church. You've got to go to Mass. You've got to take the Eucharist. You've got to go to confession. Don't commit any mortal sins. Make sure you go to all the holy days of obligation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you die, you know, when your time comes, you're going to go through one of two doors. <laughs> There's two doors there, and you're going to end up being sent through one of them. One door leads to eternal bliss, heaven, and the other door leads to eternal torment, hell. Now, you don't know which door you're going to go through until it actually happens. Now, that gives people a lot of uncertainty in their lives and stress in their lives. You know, there's, there are brief times in your life where you feel pretty sure you're going to make it through the right door. Like, you know, I used to have to go to confession. They'd normally have it on Saturday afternoons. And when you go to confession and say you confess all of your sins to the priest and he forgives you and gives you some penance to do and some prayers to say. And at that point, you feel clean. You know, if anything were to happen to me right now, I know I'd go through the right door. <laughs> but shortly after that, you know, you end up sinning again. And you got all these things on your conscience and, and so on. So I remember my life as growing up as a Catholic because, you know, you tried to do the best, but you always had this uncertainty that come crunch time, what door are you going to be sent through? The good door or the bad door? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and as we turn there, I'll, I'll, I'll open with prayer. Lord, as we open your word now, we know it's not given to us to understand just of our own knowledge and intelligence the wonders and the depth of your word. So we just pray that you give us that understanding now. Open our eyes and our hearts to take in these scriptures and to come to understand you more clearly. That's our prayer today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. One thing that we have to be continually reminded of, uh, you should know this passage pretty much by heart, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8, that when it comes to salvation, the Bible teaches, and again, as a Catholic, I wasn't really encouraged to read the Bible, and I very rarely ever did. But now that the Bible is so much more important to us, we know that God's word is truth. And it says here, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So how are we saved? By grace, through faith. And it goes on to say in verse 9, we're not saved by works. <clears throat> I'll say the gospel is not a mixture of grace plus our own efforts to be saved. Not by works so that no one can boast. So our personal righteousness has nothing to do with getting us to heaven. Understand that. That's what that passage just said. And the tense of the verb here suggests a completed action. 
In other words, for it is by grace you have been saved. So once we hear the gospel, the news about Jesus, the Son of God coming down to this earth, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and we respond to that gospel by accepting Jesus as our personal Savior. You know, the Bible tells us to repent. We must humble ourselves, realize that we're sinners, that we need a Savior. So we pray, Jesus, we've read this story about you. We believe who you are. We believe that what you have done applies to each of us individually. I want you to be my Savior. And you make that claim and, and you make that statement and, and you believe you have faith in it. The scripture says here in verse 8, by grace now you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So our salvation, we understand now, based on God's word, is not a mixture of God's grace plus our efforts to somehow earn it, okay? Our salvation is based on grace alone and our faith in that gift of grace. Jesus did the work on the cross. We must put our faith solely on the saving work he did for us and no human effort can contribute to our salvation. It is a gift from God. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? <laughs> that is God's truth. In fact, uh, Paul says in Galatians, just turn a couple pages back toward the front of your Bible, Galatians 2, verse 21. He was talking to a group of people, in this case, people who wanted to bring the Old Testament law back into uh, focus saying that, okay, grace is fine, but you still got to keep all the laws of the Old Testament in order to be saved. And Paul was trying to convince them, no, that's not true. And he says here in Galatians 2, verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, the keeping of the law, Christ died for nothing. So it's Christ's sacrifice on the cross that brings about our salvation and our faith in that. Our keeping of the law, we don't obey God in order to be saved. We obey God because we are saved through grace. Okay, So being a good Christian and obeying God is good. I'm not saying, you know, you don't need to obey God anymore. You know, that's what the... the uh, I think it was the Corinthians said to the Apostle Paul, grace, oh, grace is wonderful. So we should go out and sin more so God could give us more grace. Paul said, God forbid. That's not the attitude to have. We're saved by grace, so now let's live like people who have been saved by grace. Let's obey God as a response to his grace that he has blessed us with. So as a Christians, we want to obey God, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Obedience is our response to God's saving grace, not something we do to try to earn or qualify for salvation. So when it comes time for you to depart this earth and the time for your judgment, you don't have to worry. Was I good enough? Or I remember all those bad things that I did. Wait a minute. 
by the grace of God, you have been forgiven because you have responded to the gospel. You've realized that you're a sinner who needs a savior. You've repented to God and uh, went ahead and been baptized, as, as the scripture says, and now you are forgiven once and for all of all of your sins. And we understand that we can know in advance, contrary to perhaps people in other denominations or churches, we know that based on God's word, we know what door we're going through. We know, and it's the good door. <laughs> it's the door to eternal bliss. It is the door to eternal life with God because it's not based on our efforts. It's based on the grace of God. I want to turn to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. It talks about Jesus as he, as he began preaching. He began his ministry. And what is the first thing that he began to teach? Well, it says here in Mark 1 verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, that's the word gospel. In King James translations, it probably says he was proclaiming the gospel of God. What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. So this is encouraging news that he was preaching. He was preaching about the Father, why he was sent, the whole story of how he was going to die on the cross to pay for the sins that we have all committed so we can be forgiven of our sins, and instead of eternal condemnation, we can have eternal life with God. So the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. So the gospel is good news. Now, hearkening back to the time when I was being raised in the Catholic Church and kind of had my doubts about what the future held for me, if the gospel means good news, where is the good news in not knowing whether you're going to heaven or hell for eternity? That's not good news. That's stress, stressful and uh, gives you anxiety, you know. And again, in, in talking to some of my friends, I didn't ask them the question, but if I were to have asked them, do you know where you're going for all eternity after you die? Are you going to go to heaven or to hell? And they would say, I don't know. I hope I go through the right door. I hope my reward is, is going to be heaven. But you see, the gospel does not leave open the question of your eternal destiny. It's good news. So the gospel assures us of our eternal destiny, or it wouldn't be good news. Good news, I don't know about you, but... When I hear good news, it's that my team won the Super Bowl, or you know, you won the lottery, or you're gonna get a bonus, or that's good news. If somebody comes and tells me, okay, when you die, you don't know for sure if you're gonna to go to heaven or hell for all eternity, that's not good news to me. That's stress time. That's uh, worry time. Notice the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one. The Apostle Paul was assured as to what was going to happen to him after death. He didn't have to worry about which door he was going to go through. He knew which door that he was going to go through. Notice what he said here 
as he neared the end of his ministry, and he was getting older, and he knew that death wasn't too far off. Philippians 1, verse 21, he said this, for to me, he was you know, thinking about death and his responsibility for the church and what's better for him to die and to go to be with God or to continue living and continue working with, with the different churches that he was working with. He said in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, why would death for Paul be gain? Because he knew already where he was going when he died. He was assured that he was going through the right door, and it was the door to eternal bliss with God in heaven. He says in verse 22, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, continuing to oversee the churches, Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart for this life to end and to be with Christ, which is better by far. So did Paul have any question in his mind as to which door he would go through at death? Absolutely not. He knew, he was assured of the fact that he was going through door number one, <laughs> the door to eternal bliss with God. He had no doubt in his mind. So you see, he didn't believe a gospel that was a, a mixture or an amalgam of grace plus works. You know, you got to do all of these things. And, and one other thing I didn't even mention in the Catholic Church, before you can get to heaven, there was a halfway place that you usually had to go to called purgatory, where you had to be cleaned up even further because chances are you weren't good enough to get into heaven anyway. But Paul knew that wasn't a true doctrine. When he died, he was immediately going to be with God. He says to die is gain. And then he also said, I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what the future held for him. Why? Because he knew that he was saved by grace, not by works. Amen. So be on guard. And I wonder sometimes if you, you know, have that feeling that, am I good enough? Am I going to make it? You know, come judgment time, what's going to happen to me? I'm telling you that the gospel is good news. <laughs> Jesus came to bring us good news about our eternal reward. And I don't want you to go through this life, and I went through a, a major portion of my life not knowing where someday I'm going to end up for all eternity because I was always focused on myself and my works and am I good enough and am, am I sinning and am I always doing the right thing? And of course the answer was no, I wasn't always doing the right thing. And is God gonna take some kind of revenge on me at some point in time? Or am I gonna to come to the point of death and judgment all excited and enthusiastic and God's gonna to say to me one day, well, John, you know, you came real close. <laughs> But you're going to have to go through the other door because you just simply weren't good enough. Uh, sorry about that. No, there was no question in Paul's mind as to which door he would be sent through. And he wasn't just speaking about himself. 
He was speaking as a Christian who was saved by grace. And we're to feel the same way. He knew that his salvation was not based on his own merit, but on the perfect righteousness of Jesus that is credited to our account once we are born again. We talked about that over the past couple weeks in the, the sermons we had. Remember the sermon of Jesus and his conversation with Nicodemus. Here was Nicodemus, a, a stalwart Jew of his day, a Pharisee who was doing all the right things as far as his personal works were concerned. He kept the law. He kept the, all the holy days that God had prescribed. You know, he gave his tithe. He did this. He did that. And what did Jesus say to him? Nicodemus asked him, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Something completely different. <laughs> you've got to rely on Jesus for your salvation. It has nothing to do with your efforts. And you can be a, a, a famous person in society and respected by, by many people and a, a standout as far as you know, your uh, religious belief is concerned. But if you don't have the perfect righteousness of Jesus credited to your account when you're born again, that's not good enough. Notice in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. <clears throat> Making it to heaven is not based on our personal righteousness. It is based on the righteousness of Jesus that is given to us when we believe, when we become a follower of Jesus, when we accept him as our savior. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. <clears throat> it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So our own personal righteousness, the prophet Isaiah said, is like filthy rags before God. So we can't personally do anything to earn salvation. But the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to us when we believe. And it's only his righteousness, it's only a perfect Jesus righteousness that can get us into our eternal reward. Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and Sadducees and so on. It's Jesus' righteousness that is given to us as a gift, and that is what brings us salvation. And there's a whole history of Christians who were martyred for their faith because they knew that what Jesus did dying on the cross from them for them secured their eternal destiny with God in heaven. And we should believe the same way. I'm going to turn now to John chapter 13, 17 rather. John 17. If you, and I know most all of you here today have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Jesus is the one who grants eternal life. As he says here in his prayer to his father, John 17, verse one, it says, uh, after Jesus said this, he 
looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he, this is Jesus talking about himself, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is about a relationship between ourselves and God that is going to last for all eternity. But one thing that I want you to understand is that relationship between you and God has already begun. You're already living in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When you heard the gospel and believed and had faith, and, and faith is something we don't have fully at the beginning, it grows and grows the longer that we're Christians. That relationship with God that Jesus here calls eternal life has already started when you became a believer. And you know, like I said, when I was growing up as a Catholic boy, I went to church as I should. I served as an altar boy, a choir boy, and, and so on and so forth. I, I did all those physical things, but I didn't know Jesus Christ. I didn't fully really grasp the whole concept of why he came to this earth. I know that he died on the cross because I always used to kneel in church before that cross that was hanging up there. So I, I was aware of that, but I didn't know what it meant to me personally. That he died not just for the sins of the world, but he died for my sins personally. And it wasn't until later in life, maybe when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, that I, I personally received Jesus as my savior. I had been baptized as a newborn infant, but I wasn't aware of that happening. <laughs> I was too little and, and, and unaware. But when I came to that certain age, I said, wow, this is awesome. This is fantastic. I want to go through this again. I, I want to be baptized now by my choice and, and with the knowledge of what this all means for me, that I'm going to go into a watery grave and my old sinful person is going to be buried and left down there. And when I come up out of that water, I'm a new person, a new creation in God's sight, receiving the Holy Spirit now and beginning a, a new life. And at that point in time, my personal relationship with Jesus began. And it's been going on now for about 40 years. And it's growing all the time and deepening all the time. So when Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, the relationship that I'm going to have with God forever, that I know that I'm going to have, because it's promised to me, it has already begun. So I know the time is coming, and, and we all know these human bodies wear out and we eventually die. But there's going to be a part of us that continues on. You know, God says that we have a spirit in us. The body goes to the grave, but the spirit, some call it the soul, whatever the case may be, goes to be with God Amen. and is with God forever, okay? Let's turn to John 1, verse 12. 
We receive that privilege when we believe. That's what Jesus said. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. It says here, Yet to all who received him, received Jesus, who believed in him, accepted him as Savior, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, born again, born from above. As we talked about, as Jesus discussed with Nicodemus, we were born again when we first believed, when we received him, when we received Jesus as our savior. So all who receive Jesus and believe in his name are given the right to become children of God. And that's what we are right now. That's not what we're going to be. It's what we are right now. And that relationship, I mean a real relationship, not just going to mass relationship, but a relationship where we come to understand who Jesus is and what he is to us personally, where we talk to him regularly, where we read his word regularly, that has already begun. And there's going to be no end to that. It's going to transition right through our physical death into an eternal existence with God. One last scripture, not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John, way back here by the book of Revelation. 1 John 5, beginning in verse 11. Do you know what door you're going to go through? <laughs> you should. And this scripture is going to show us what your eternal outcome is going to be. You don't have to worry about it. You can have assurance in it. 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Did you, hear, did you catch that? God has given us eternal life. It's not a question. It's not something you worry about or fret about or have doubts about, thinking, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know, come that time, which way the scales are going to balance your salvation and your eternal judgment is not based on scales, the good things that you did versus the bad things you did. Your judgment and your salvation is based on who your Savior is. Because Jesus has conquered the scales. <laughs> he lived a life without sin. Your personal righteousness can't get you into heaven. We're relying on Jesus' perfect righteousness to get us into heaven. And furthermore, that's the only way you can get into heaven. By claiming Jesus as your Savior, having faith and trust in him. He's not going to let us down. He has promised. So let's read that again. Verse 11. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. And that's talking about eternal life. So if you have the Son, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you're living in relationship with Him, growing to appreciate Him and love Him more day by day, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
And finally, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Can he make it any plainer? Our gospel, the gospel in the Bible, is not a mixture. It's not an amalgam of grace plus works. And okay, we got some grace, but it's going to be whether we're good enough, if we can make it or not. That's not the gospel. The gospel is very plain. It is based on grace alone and our belief and faith and our trust in God. He who has the Son has eternal life. And you should know that you have eternal life because the real gospel is good news. So can you imagine going through life with the assurance that you know what your eternal future holds? You don't have any doubts. You don't have any worries. Sometimes Satan tries to put doubts in our minds, as he did with Jesus when he tempted him. But God's word trumps all of Satan's temptations and doubts that he tries to put in us. Now, you know, you have to be careful, because if you're in a group of people, and I don't know if this will ever happen to you, but if the question of salvation comes up, and somebody asks you the question, do you know where you're going to be for all eternity? You can say, yes, I do. I am going through door number one. You know what? They're going to think you're self-righteous. They're going to think you're arrogant. Why do you think you're so much better than anybody else? I'm not better than anybody else. But I have a Savior who is better than anybody else. And it's not my righteousness that's going to get me into heaven. It's his righteousness. And that's the only way you can get into heaven. That's why I know what door I'm going through. And I'm assured of it. It doesn't make me any better than anybody else. And you know, furthermore, if you want to be sure what door you're going through, all you have to do is believe in the Savior that I have. His name is Jesus Christ. And he died for your sins as well. And he would love to attribute his righteousness to you, to credit it to your account. All you have to do is repent and believe. So have you taken Jesus Christ as your very own and put your trust in him alone for your salvation? That's what we must do. And then when you do that, have no doubt. Your eternal salvation is secure in him.